a Bitcoin. Bitcoiners, I just had an amazing conversation with Philippe, the CEO of XBTO. XBTO is one of those companies that is building out the liquidity behind all of the different exchanges in the crypto space, and they have been at it since 2015. So you may not have heard of them, but you've been using them if you've been trading Bitcoin or using any of the major exchanges. XBTO has been doing so much stuff in the space. They've expanded far, far beyond just liquidity providing. They've gotten into every aspect of the crypto ecosystem, the Bitcoin ecosystem. And now they are building out an offering for the mainstream and they are trying to build out their brand and, and build some brand recognition. They sponsored Inner Miami, which is a soccer team in the MLS here in the US. And they're just doing so much in the space. It was a pleasure to talk to Philippe to learn more about what's happening in the crypto space, what has been evolving for so long with Bitcoin and hear his perspective on how Bitcoin fits into all of it. I think you guys are going to really enjoy this interview. I think you're going to learn a lot from Philippe. So without further ado, let's just get right into this conversation. Bitcoiners, I'm sitting across from Philippe. Bekazi, the CEO of XBTO. Philippe has been doing enormous things kind of in stealth, you know, in the undercurrents of the Bitcoin and crypto space. But XBTO is one of the most important companies in this space and one of those companies that's kind of just fueling the entire ecosystem. So I'm super excited to talk to Philippe and, you know, learn about how the ecosystem has developed what is happening. And then if you're watching this on video, you'll see that Philippe is repping an awesome soccer jersey. So Bitcoin is going mainstream and so are all the big Bitcoin companies. So XBTO is one of those as well. So Philippe, welcome to the podcast. Excited to chat. Thanks for having me, man. I'm looking forward to chat. You're the CEO of XBTO and one of the most important companies in this space. I want to hear your Bitcoin journey. How did you discover Bitcoin? When did you start, you know, deciding to move into becoming an entrepreneur in this space? Right. Well, it starts really when I was much younger in my teens. It actually started really when I got my my first Nintendo. Seven years old. I had to figure out how to plug it because no one else in my house knew how to plug this thing. I just kind of started tinkering very early on with sort of technology. From there on, I was just playing with like computers and figuring out how to, you know, load like new OSs like Linux, play around with Linux and just did a lot of various kind of like research into computers. I got into finance basically during my college years as the NASDAQ and the equities were reaching new heights in, in the early 2000s. Basically, my journey is, is, is about the confluence of, of two big sort of big trends is finance right? Or basically the evolution of finance and through high frequency and all that stuff and basically technology, right? So I've always been interested in technology. I've always been interested in numbers and finance came along and I thought, wow, we could do so many great things using technology. Early on, I was even doing like neural network, like simulated annealing and just all kinds of like things to figure out how to beat the market. In 2008, obviously, we all know what happened. Market got really dislocated, issues of counterparty risk and credit risk and liquidity issues. And all of that basically basically led to a certain degree to what Bitcoin is today, which is how do you disintermediate all this risk? How do you make this risk more transparent? How do you make sure that what you're owning is really what 
you're supposed to be owning, right? Knowing what you own is, is really important, knowing what you receive. Uh, and so I read the white paper fairly early uh, in 2010. In the beginning, I didn't really know what to do with it, but slowly but surely, I became, you know, I began mining when it was still possible on CPUs and not in a big way, but I was sort of learning. And, you know, I got into analyzing what I could do at a, a scale to take my experiences and make Bitcoin sort of better. And one thing that I, I noticed fairly early on is that exchanges were, a lot of them were reinventing the wheel. Yes, they were basically Bitcoin exchanges, but you know they were using technology that was kind of not really built on what a financial firm would have built, right? So it was a lot of sort of things that are reinventing the wheel and, and just cobbling things together. More of a website and less of an exchange. We've seen that with like you know, Mount Gox and eventually those exchanges kind of matured and stuff. But one of the things that I noticed within those exchanges over and beyond the fact that they were sort of technologically deficient was that they really lacked liquidity. They lacked liquidity at an institutional level. What that meant is that there were a lot of people, random people just meeting for bids and asks, right, on an exchange. But there was no one there that was really where their job was to be there for the exchange and providing liquidity 24 7, 365 days a year, which is what Bitcoin needs because that's what Bitcoin is. It's a sort of global settlement asset that basically is operating 24 7, 365 days a year. You can't take weekends, you can't take even half an hour off from Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a full-time commitment. And so in 2014, I thought, okay, how do I get this going? I've got algos because I've developed algos for foreign currencies and trading. And obviously, I've been looking at it for a long time because I was a trader at SEC Capital and I spent a lot of time on a trading desk and understanding what various markets were doing, right? And so... This sort of started making sense to me, like this is what I can really bring to the market is I can make a better market. So I approached one exchange and I said, what if we did some kind of joint venture or, you know, some kind of partnership where I could come in with my team. And at that point, you know, I had, I had brought in one of my partners from that I met at SAC and I had a good friend who was also a sort of chief technology officer and basically helped put things together. And uh, we did it on one exchange and that worked out really well. We did it in US dollars and then did it on Canadian. And then we did it on yen and euros and basically with the floodgates and we did it on uh, a number uh, of exchanges. In the beginning of 2015, we were, and that's when XP2 was born, we were on one exchange. At the end of the year, we were on five exchange. Now we're on 40 plus exchanges. And obviously the universe of tokens has exploded Back then, it was basically Bitcoin, a little bit of Ethereum. Obviously, you had other tokens, but they were so illiquid or so sort of miners that we didn't really pay too much attention to them. Nowadays, the universe has really expanded. The other thing that I sort of that meant a lot to me it was that yes, there was it was very important to do trading, but we had to stay in the game during bear markets. During bear markets, you have a couple of things that happen that are they're kind of hard on investment companies and market makers is that a volumes kind of decrease volatility decreases and so you have less of an ability to make money it's harder to make money you've built up a, a team during good times now you have a, you have a significant drawdown because you know it is the nature of bitcoin it is still growing it's still it's in its infancy and so it is quite volatile 
And one of the things that I decided fairly early on is how do I diversify XBQ? How do I make it more robust so that we can sustain going through rough times, even if we are maybe slightly over invested or over you know, where we've hired maybe too much versus where the market cycle is, right? So we got into mining and we got into, not to say that mining isn't really correlated to the market, but it did bring some diversification in the sense that we were learning you know, what miners needed. And that's really important for, for us because we did the products that we can offer to miners is dependent on what they, obviously what they need. And then we got into venture capital. So we started investing our, our PL into companies like Deribit, Luca, got into DeFi early, and we had like X margin. I mean, we, we were investing like 20, 20 plus companies. So, and we were constantly looking at them. Now we have even a dedicated venture group. So effectively, we've kind of grown into this sort of global crypto finance enterprise that's doing all kinds of different things. But we're still committed market maker. That's our DNA. And, you know, we're, we're basically an asset manager. Yeah, I mean, I think the venture angle is so interesting because you kind of have such an informational advantage, right? Like Deribit has been an absolute smashing success, right? And uh, I'm sure that the fact that you are a market maker in all these different places, you know, kind of helps you, you know, make those calls and be successful there. Yeah, absolutely. We invested in things that we needed at the time, right? If you remember when when Bitcoin started, it was even hard to get a bank account. So if I had been able to invest in a bank to get a bank account, that's probably what I would have done. But you know, investing in a bank is kind of hard. But for example, options were something that I thought this is definitely coming, and we definitely need to have options to better hedge market events. And I think we first approached Airbit in 2016 or early 2017. So it was very, very early on, and there was absolutely zero liquidity. It was very, very difficult to bootstrap that liquidity, but it was important to us. And so we made that investment because we were strategic in that sense. We were going to use the product and we were going to sort of try to make that product successful. And so we did it with like, you know, a bunch of other companies. Now, Unicoin, for example, in India is one that I think is, is, is an important one as well. We want to, we think India is a big market, um, billion people, huge thesis there in terms of Bitcoin adoption. So we feel like, we should be in Unicorn. We're going to be a strategic into Unicorn. And hopefully we make it just as successful as, as Deribit is today. Which, you know, now it, you know, it's a Unicorn for sure. That's awesome. And, and again, Unicorn in India is one of the most important exchanges there. And they've shown that they can kind of handle adversity, right? Because all the exchanges there kind of got cut off from a bank account. They all went P to P. Now you know, things seems to be going back in in their direction from a legal perspective. But it's awesome to kind of just see these different market players addressing the different market needs geographically, kind of based on the different countries and and, and how Bitcoin can best serve those people. Yeah, absolutely. We're very sort of opportunistic into the companies that we invest in. We just make sure that at least on the corporate venture fund, which is kind of our own funds, right? We invest in companies that where we, we feel like we can really help them succeed, be successful. A lot of times people think of VCs as just a pool of capital. And sometimes that's just the case. You know, you, you get a VC involved and all they do is just give you a check and, and they come back every quarter and say hello and, and see how you're doing. We're absolutely not like that. We want to be a user, a customer, a partner. And so our money just comes with a lot more than just a check, right? Uh, it's, it's a lot of our you know, human resources and knowledge and experience. 
we believe in Bitcoin in such a way that we're almost committed over and beyond the bottom line. It's like almost a bottom, a double bottom line, right? If you know what I'm saying. Yeah, well, I mean, I think with Bitcoin, there absolutely is a double bottom line, especially the hardcore people. That's what they believe. They think that they're changing the world for the better. And there's plenty of stuff on Bitcoin magazine all about that. All right, Bitcoiners, I want to tell you about our newest sponsor. This show is brought to you by Ledin.io. I have been super, super impressed with the guys over at Ledin. I've actually known the co-founders, Adam and Mauricio, for a very long time. I've had the pleasure to watch them build Ledin up from a tiny, tiny startup to now a super impressive institutional grade Bitcoin and crypto lender. Y'all, I'm so impressed with these guys. They are offering some of the best rates out there. I don't think anyone even comes close to touching them. You can get 6.1% APY on your first two Bitcoin that you deposit into Ledin interest accounts, and you can get 8.5% on USDC deposits. I mean, I know all the competitors. They're not even close. If you're going to put your crypto and your Bitcoin into an interest account, Ledin is by far the best. And on top of that, like I said, these guys are hardcore Bitcoiners and they know the products and the services that Bitcoiners want and appreciate. They come up with B2X. It allows you to put your Bitcoin in, they leverage it up, and you can, with one click of the mouse, get twice the exposure to Bitcoin. So if you're super bullish, Ledin has you covered with a super, super easy way to get leverage with B2X. And then on top of that, they know that Bitcoiners care about your reserves. They know that Bitcoiners don't like under-reserved and not full-reserved financial institutions. So they are pushing the frontier in transparency in the digital asset lending space. And they are the first digital asset lender to do a full proof of reserves and proof of attestation through a Mariano LLC, a public accounting firm. So the letting guys, they know what Bitcoiners like. They are legit. I encourage you guys to check them out. Do your own research and go to ledin.io. That is L-E-D-N.io and learn more. Bitcoiners, I want to tell you about the Deep Dive. The Deep Dive is Bitcoin Magazine's premium market intelligence newsletter. This is a no-fluff, hard-hitting, incredible newsletter going deep into the market, helping you understand what's happening with derivatives, what's happening on-chain, what's happening in macro, what's happening with the narrative, and what's happening with the tech. My man, Dylan LeClaire, is an absolute savant. He is making his name known in the Bitcoin community, getting shout-outs left and right, getting on podcasts left and right, and him and his team are bringing you everything that you need to know about Bitcoin. You don't even have to be on Bitcoin Twitter. You can ignore every other newsletter. This is the newsletter to rule them all. Go over to members.bitcoinmagazine.com. Sign up today. And if you use promo code macro, you get a full month for free. You have nothing to lose. What are you waiting for? Sign up, see the incredible work that Dylan and his team are putting out. And if you don't like it, just unsubscribe. You don't pay a dime. But if you do, you know, it's going to be well worth the sats in investment in understanding Bitcoin and gaining the confidence to continue to invest in Bitcoin and making the right moves around Bitcoin. And it's going to be well worth every single Satoshi. Again, can't recommend it enough. That is members.bitcoinmagazine.com, promo code macro. Do it today. My next question is, I want to, you know, you kind of mentioned this a little bit, but I want to talk about how has the crypto ecosystem evolved? You know, you started XBTO in 2015 when none of the exchanges had any liquidity at all. And 
you know, now we have Binance and all of this, you know, just global liquidity. Bitcoin is potentially the most liquid asset in the world. And there are several other crypto assets that are also very, very liquid. Talk about like the ecosystem, how it shifted. Did you kind of see it shifting in this way? It sounds like you were right about a lot of things. Did anything surprise you? That's a loaded question. So I'll just turn it back to you. Obviously, I think the ecosystem has grown for the better. There are things that are helping the ecosystem. There are things that are kind of hurting the ecosystem. Regulation is one that obviously is a bit of a question mark. It's been a problem since the beginning, at least since Bitcoin became something that was too hard to sort of sweep away on, under a rug, when it got too big to not pay attention to. New York State got involved fairly early with the bit license, 2014, probably a little too early. And I think that really kind of has hurt New York because a lot of the companies eventually kind of left because they couldn't really sort of iterate on their business plan and, and pivot the way they wanted to. They were kind of sort of shackled to an understanding by a regulator of what Bitcoin was or is. And I think over time, Bitcoin has sort of matured in that in that sense. And people really now understand what Bitcoin is. I think some people still think Bitcoin is a method of cash payment, like a way to pay for things. But I think the majority of people understand that it's a very inefficient way to, to think about it. Obviously, on second layer solutions, you can think about Bitcoin that way. But at the core level, Bitcoin is understood to be sort of like a store of value, uh, something that is finite in numbers. And therefore, that sort of like is the thesis that kind of is understood by many about why Bitcoin can only appreciate in time, right? If we all believe that sort of dollars are going to lose value year after year, which they've done in the last 100 years, then Bitcoin, which is finite in numbers, will likely appreciate in dollars terms over the long term. For us, if we're very much intertwined with the fate of Bitcoin, I think everything else as well. If Bitcoin were to go to, if, we're, if Bitcoin were hacked at the core level or went to zero, I think the experiment would be over for a lot of the other points as well, right? So for us, we're always thinking 10 years ahead. We're always believing in Bitcoin, even when things get really dire and, and Bitcoin goes down 80%. There's always this belief that in 10 years, it's unlikely that Bitcoin is not higher. So that kind of keeps us in the game. And obviously, Bitcoin has basically made Ethereum possible and has made ICOs possible and made NFTs possible. Now, to the degree that one believes in all of these things, besides Bitcoin is another story, but it's basically built on the same premise, right? That premise that there is a certain degree of decentralization. Some people get lost a little bit in, in that sort of narrative. They think that, that it doesn't matter. The decentralization doesn't matter, that everything could really actually exist on Amazon. I don't think they, they think it really through. But the reality is there's probably some signal in all of these things. ICOs made Binance possible. It made a lot of interesting projects possible. And what's interesting also is stablecoins were also built in response to Bitcoin, basically on, on Bitcoin. In the early days, it was built on the Omni, right? which was basically some kind of Bitcoin fork. The ecosystem, the sort of the whole network has grown to be successful because Bitcoin has been, you know, has been doing well. And sort of XBTO has been trying to keep ahead of the curve in any one of these big trends. And I'll call them big trends because I think NFTs, which is the most recent trend, is a little bit ahead of itself. There's a lot of, I think there's a lot of noise and there's a lot of frost. And I think a lot of people just don't 
quite understand what is going on. So some of them will be hurt. I think over time, what we'll find out is that NFR is something that is sort of tangible and that will perdure in time. But again, it's all based on a successful Bitcoin network, even though it's not built on the Bitcoin network anymore because Bitcoin isn't really that sort of layer that you can do these kinds of things are. But the, the basic tenets of decentralization is core. And so that's basically what we're banking on at the end of the day. That's the thesis is that we can't really trust the status quo today, that in 10, 20 years time, there will be a certain amount of reliance on decentralized systems. And to be successful, a decentralized system needs its own currency. I think there's a tremendous amount to unpack there. First and foremost, I want to kind of comment on your thesis that like Bitcoin enabled Ethereum and then therefore all these other things kind of stacked on top of it. I actually completely and totally agree. My kind of perception is like all these things, like there's like this stack. And if you think about Bitcoin, Bitcoin has a non-USD market price. And that's what proof of work is. And that's kind of like effectively what from a monetary perspective, what enables all this other stuff to kind of get built on the internet. So I think that to me, that's a pretty obvious fact. I think a lot of people will say, hey, whether or not, you know, these other things are legitimate or useful or not. I don't think that that's really worth arguing about on the show. I think we agree that there's some potential, but I do completely agree there. The other thing was just kind of like talking about how this ecosystem, as it's evolving, it's going to do things that I think are a little bit unexpected, right? And and like we can't always expect like what's going to be the next thing, but we can kind of, it seems like the mechanisms are repeating, right? So like at first it was like the Bitcoin like copycat froth, and then it was like the ICO froth, and then it was like the NFT froth. And all of these froth cycles are repeating. So I think like the NFT like hype right now, it's very much like the ICO hype. And like something came out of it, right? Or or something useful, something that people leveraged to move things forward came out of the ICO hype. Again, people got scammed. It was like, you know, the, the 2017 was craziness. There's a lot of like crappy startups raising amazing amounts of money. But at the same time, like you mentioned, Binance, all these other companies emerged out of that. We had another founder who, you know, did an ICO and is building a completely legitimate and successful company. And again, it's opening up this door for crypto financing, which is very, very interesting, right? It's completely global. It's decentralized. You know, if you're in South Africa, how can you venture fund if you're not using crypto? It's very, very difficult. So I do think that with, you know, this NFT cycle that, again, it very much feels like the ICO cycle. I'm sure that the next four years around, there's going to be something else that is a little unexpected, but yeah. Or I'm sure that unexpected things are basically the chaos is real, but that's what makes life interesting, right? (laughs) At least for a trading company, you want chaos. You want as much unexpected things as possible because volatility is super important for us. Obviously, there's volatility and there's stability and they, they can sometimes go together, meaning there's a certain level of acceptable volatility that people understand to be sort of you're in a stable mode. Your understanding of the world is is not like your tomorrow is going to be the end of the world because you know Bitcoin is 80% vol. Every asset class has its own sort of idiosyncratic sort of parameters and, and sort of volatility. So um, 
yeah, so, you know, I think we need to be excited about the pace of innovation, the pace of everything that's going on, because, you know, Bitcoin's only 10 years old and we want to see Bitcoin succeed and we need that volatility to get places, right? If Bitcoin was only worth $10 and it was like a dollar 10 years ago, then, then what good does that do us? You know, it, it needs to grow fast to reach as many people as possible because that's its promise, right? You know, a billion dollar asset, ah, it's nice, you know, but it doesn't really do anything in if you think about what they can, can do for the world. So I think we're getting places and that's a good thing. So slightly shifting on the topic of volatility, Bitcoin from a trading perspective in 2017 and in the past really was kind of like that core trading pair with everything on exchanges. Going into 2018 and beyond, we started seeing Tether really kind of emerging as the core trading asset and USD kind of becoming at least the base pair for the majority of crypto volume. I'm kind of curious, you know, since you are a market maker and, you know, really understand what's kind of happening in the background, where do Bitcoin and stable coins kind of fit in that stack? And, you know, where's the kind of trend in terms of the trading ecosystem? It's really critical to understand that Bitcoin and stable coins can coexist and they're not absolutely not competing with one another. Bitcoin is its own currency. It's you know, completely sovereign. It does not depend on the government. It has a fixed monetary supply, 21 million. It has an, an, a known and algorithmic issuance schedule, which basically is, is sort of the mining schedule with like known halving dates and and so when you're investing in Bitcoin, you're obviously making a decision not to invest in the corollary or, or sort of the opposite of that, which is fiat currencies and dollar being the main fiat currency out there, the one that represents most of the trade around the world, right? So stable coins is just a representation of fiat currencies on a blockchain. It could be on Bitcoin, but right now it is on Ethereum because Ethereum was more of a smart contract type of blockchain. And now it's going into uh, either layer twos or other maybe more scalable um, blockchains such as you know Solana, if we were to mention one. What is good about stable coins is that it basically allows for the money or for moving money around the world very quickly, efficiently, transparently. You know where your money is at all times, right? And you can settle for something immediately, whether you're paying someone in Japan or someone that's just across the room. It's the same process. It's the same protocol. It's the same fees. And so it's super simple from that perspective. And early on, I think people wanted to be in crypto, wanted to be in Bitcoin, Ethereum, but when they were not going to be because market events required them to be in something that was in a currency that they used every day, which is the dollar for the most part or the euro, they wanted to still stay in, in crypto. And so stable coins kind of came along as that sort of medium, that sort of vehicle to sort of move dollars around or fiat around very, very quickly. And so there are cycles. We've talked about cycles. There are times where Bitcoin is less in demand. And because in less, it, it's less in demand, the supply and the balance, the supply and demand balance shifts short, you know, usually it's pretty short term. It can last for 
six months to a year sometimes during bear markets, but eventually that eventually corrects. And so during those times, people want to be in stable coins because they feel like they are able to convert those stable coins back into dollar one for one and pay for things that they need every day. You know, you still need to pay the rent. You still need to buy a car. You still need to, you know, live. And Bitcoin is great when it's going up, you're buying more of these things, but when you're going down, you still have a family, you still need to look after your life, right? And it's really, you know, one day, maybe there'll be a day where everyone's talking in Bitcoin terms, like where it's sort of a unit of account. But for now, you know, Bitcoin is store value, much like gold. And gold is pretty useless for everyday purposes. You keep it in a vault, you insure it, and you know that in 100 years, probably be worth than it was. Again, in dollar terms. And Bitcoin is kind of the same thing, except for that Bitcoin is a lot more, has more, a lot more utility than gold because it is divisible out to eight decimals, because you can send it around the world very quickly and transparently. Because Bitcoin, you know when you're getting Bitcoin, very few people know when they're getting an actual gold coin. You know, or bar, you never really know if it's genuine or not. It's very hard to, to figure out. Gold is heavy and, you know, you got to insure it, you got to secure it. And it's not as good of a, of a store of wealth asset as, as, as Bitcoin. So in any case, sort of get back a little bit to where we XBTO sort of fit in all this. We want to make sure at any given time that sort of Bitcoin is nicely supported from a liquidity perspective because all of these traits these this divisibility this portability this transparency is absolutely useless if you don't know the price of that bitcoin at any given moment and you, and you can sort of understand it in the real world at any given point so it's not like if it was as illiquid as a picasso for example or as a house, then it would not really be as useful. And so I look at it like that. I mean, sort of like the more liquidity in an asset, the more trust you can impart on it, right? On everyday life, right? And so the fact that Bitcoin is super secure because it's got proof of work, it's got a lot of uh, electrical capacity going into it every day makes its settlement layer secure and trustworthy. But without the actual price of it in other goods, in other currencies, that kind of lessens the, the value, right? So that's our goal. That's our objective. That's our, our core belief. Amazing. I think that that was very well articulated. Bitcoiners, I am so excited to tell you about the Bitcoin 2022 conference. You guys, Bitcoin 2021 was absolutely a smash hit success. It was over 13,000 Bitcoiners coming together, breaking the barriers on who can come together and celebrate freedom, celebrate Bitcoin, and the energy was absolutely electric. Unfortunately, it was just oversubscribed. There's just people flowing out everywhere. And this year we are learning, we are making the conference bigger and better. We are moving over to the Miami Beach Convention Center, and we are going to be throwing a massive four-day festival for Bitcoin, celebrating Bitcoin, bringing together the greatest minds in Bitcoin and the greatest businesses in Bitcoin. And lastly, 
the culture of Bitcoin altogether. We have a four-day extravaganza planned for you guys for Bitcoin 2022. Day one is going to be industry day. It is a day where you can buy a special ticket in order to just mingle and make business deals happen. Day two and three is going to be a full-blown Bitcoin conference. This is our main conference. This is going to be on April 7th and 8th. And then lastly, we have the Sound Music Festival day four. Imagine going to Coachella, but for Bitcoin. There's going to be very few talks. It's going to be all about the culture of Bitcoin. It's going to be all about hanging with your fellow plebs. It is going to be an absolutely amazing time. There's going to be Bitcoin musicians, Bitcoin artists, and all your favorite Bitcoiners and just an amazing environment to party and just see it all, soak it all in, and to get people to realize that a Bitcoin world, a world filled with Bitcoin people doing Bitcoin things is the world that they want to live in. That's what Bitcoin 2022 is all about. That is what the Bitcoin conference is all about. That's what Bitcoin Magazine is all about. So it is going to be a celebration of Bitcoin, the Bitcoiners, and this amazing movement that is going to make the world a better place. Go to b.tc forward slash conference. Learn more about the Bitcoin conference. Learn more about all the amazing things that are happening in Miami around the Bitcoin conference and buy your tickets. And guess what? If you buy your bit tickets with Bitcoin, you save $100 on all the tickets and $1,000 on the whale pass. So if you want the VIP pass, the, the big kahuna, if you buy with Bitcoin, you save $1,000. That's a lot of stats. So Go and do it right now today. Don't wait. Prices are only going up. This is going to be a can't miss event. Bitcoiners, let's take a break from the content. And I want to tell you about Coolbix. Coolbix is an awesome Bitcoin hardware wallet that has been around for a really long time. They are building an amazing Bitcoin wallet called the Cool Wallet Pro. The Cool Wallet Pro is state of the art. Bitcoin hardware wallet technology. Its form factor is like a credit card. You can put it into your wallet and it is designed to go with you on the go. So that way, even when you're on the go, you can have the benefit of a two-factor hardware wallet design when you're trying to spend your Bitcoin. So you can have your Bitcoin wallet UX on your phone and make it really easy to scan, decide what you want to do. But then you sign with a cool bit X, which is in your back pocket. It is tamper proof. It is waterproof. It is flexible. It has an awesome secure element in it. And it is a really awesome way in order to have some more flexibility, yet security when you're taking your Bitcoin on the go. I personally am a fan of this idea of making Bitcoin into a medium of exchange and making it into something that people use. I know it's going to take time, but they are working on the UX for making that possible in as secure a way possible. So have some peace of mind. Check out the Cool Wallet Pro from CoolBix and... Thank you to them for sponsoring this podcast. The way I kind of think about it is that Bitcoin slash fiat, they're both kind of mental operating systems, right? Your unit of account, like that's that's almost like a way of viewing the world. Eventually, Bitcoin offers like a cleaner way to view the world, right? Because I think it like turns energy into monetary value and hopefully that's more efficient, right? But for the time being, it's just... We're not there yet. We're just flat out. We're not there yet. But you know what? We're not there yet. 99% of the world is not there yet. That's right. But we are just like, we from the beginning, we were always, well, not always, but we, we used to in the beginning look at our sort of PL and balance sheet in dollars. But we started to really come to the realization that it didn't make a lot of sense to look at things in dollars. You really wanted to start looking 
at things in terms of Bitcoin because your denominator doesn't change in Bitcoin. You've got X over 21 million, right? And so the more Bitcoin you can accumulate, then, then that's real wealth. In dollars, it's a little bit hard when you have a Fed printing $6 trillion. So yeah, maybe you got a little bit wealthier on a nominal basis or absolute basis, but did you actually get wealthier or not? And you don't know. And inflation takes a long time to manifest itself. It's not like it happens overnight. It's not because the Fed comes out and does $6 trillion that it necessarily impacts the price of your coffee or, or anything like that. We don't really know, actually, what will be the impact. What we do know is that fiat currencies and reserves, uh, current reserve currencies have historically been something that lasted for about 100 years. And that's because I think people take it for granted. After a long period of time, you're like, oh, yeah, my grandmother used it. My mother used it. I'm using it. It doesn't really... You start thinking about things differently. You think it, of it as this thing that's probably never going to change. And I think that's where the danger lies. When you start sort of losing sight of the risks. And right now we're in that sort of time in this cycle, this secular change where, you know, and with COVID, it gets even worse. It's really, what does money mean? What's money? What is this thing that I'm using every day? Ultimate question. Why do I trust it? Yeah, it's the ultimate question behind Bitcoin, right? Or behind any one of these sort of new, new currencies. In certain countries, it doesn't matter if a government decides to start over and say, okay, we're done with this version of this currency, say Argentina, we're going to do another currency. You know, it's this trust. It's like this, okay, but do these people really know what they're doing? Why should we trust them with money, right? And so with Bitcoin, you don't have to trust anyone with money with money. It just is what it is. It's an equation that everyone's looking at that and everyone's protecting and it cannot be changed. And it's global in nature. And it's like that one language that everybody speaks. And that's really powerful. I think that that is so spot on. Felipe, I think that I could talk to you about, you know, this subject forever. Again, like talking about where Bitcoin fits into all of this. But I do want to talk about your jersey and XBTO sponsoring Inner Miami. I also want to talk about Miami and talk about cities turning into Bitcoin cities. I think that's really interesting. But tell us about sponsoring Inner Miami. And I guess as a CEO, I'm sure like it's a huge milestone for you, right? Just to kind of, you know, take your business this far and and kind of like take into the the mainstream is very exciting. Yeah. We you know, we used to keep our head low and, and just do the work. And we were the sort of behind the scenes, coding algos, making liquidity better on exchanges in various currencies and just making investments. At the time, there wasn't really any need to do any marketing, to be out there. I think it was a just sort of different times. I think we've gotten to a scale now where we need to be more vocal. We need to be out there. We need to to show the world that we exist. And you know, just like Miami and the mayor is out there promoting his city, we're out there really promoting future finance, so to say, crypto finance, and and then the importance of crypto assets. I think we've reached that sort of tipping point where we have to get involved, and so. Obviously, when COVID happened, a lot of staff decided to move to Miami to have better quality of life. And because New York was getting a little bit difficult to live in, not only from 
the fact that, you know, uh, it's hard during COVID to be in New York, but regulation wise, it's a difficult um, place to sort of express yourself. And, you know, and Miami has done a really good job sort of marketing itself as sort of a capital, a cryptocurrency capital, right? And there are others, obviously, I think there are places in Asia that have done a really good job at it as well. But in the US, you know, I don't, I can't think of any other city that has done as good a job as, as Mayor Suarez has done to promoting Miami as sort of like this breeding ground for cryptocurrencies. And for us, when we went down there, we're like, great, how do we get involved in this community? What can we do to invest in something that sort of matters both for us and for Miami and that's visible to the world? And I grew up in in the outskirts of Paris, always loved sort of soccer and we call it football over there. When the Inter-Miami team kind of reached out and a lot of sports companies did reach out before and after, it was the only one that resonated with me, say, if I'm going to do one thing and I'm going to invest and sponsor a team in this space, it's going to have to be in soccer. It's going to have to be in Miami and it's going to have to be big. Meaning I wasn't interested in like just like a small XBTO on a sleeve or something like that. That really didn't really matter. I wanted to make a statement, something big. You know, obviously David Beckham is behind this. I've always looked up to, to David as a great player. And all of these things kind of came together and it was actually a really easy deal to make. The actual deal didn't take very long. We, we got along very quickly with management, with ownership, the Moss brothers who are sort of majority owners, I think at least, and David and, and even Masayoshi-san, who was part of SoftBank, who was bought out recently. They made us feel welcome. They made us feel comfortable in that investment, uh, in that sponsorship. And so we basically, while it took five months to announce to the world, it was really like right off the bat, like we thought it was a great, it was a, it was a great thing to do. It was an easy decision to do. And also, you know, remember soccer is a global sport. Everyone can play soccer. It's super inclusive. All you need is a ball. You don't even need shoes. You can play on the beach, play in Africa, play in Asia. It's really one of these sports that that is really inclusive and democratic. And I think that really was important to us. Yeah, we're so excited about this, this sponsorship. Uh, and I, it's a sponsorship that's going to last for three years or four. We have the ability to, to go up to four years and potentially even more. I mean, look, I think we've made this commitment. We've opened our headquarters now in Miami. So we kind of moved most of the staff down to Miami uh, in the US. We're committed to to both Miami and to the club. We feel like it's sort of like part of our brand now. And we're definitely not looking to go do this across the board. Like it's not something that another sports team calls us. And I'm saying that actually, because I'm getting like, I got a hundred emails probably this week <laughs> about you know, people, how about we do something? And I'm really not that interested in doing anything else. For me, it's just like, it's like Bitcoin for me. You, you, know, yeah, you almost go maximalists. Because otherwise, you're diluting yourself. You're diluting the message. Yeah, you're everywhere, but you're nowhere at the end of the day, right? So yeah, anyways, it's <laughs> just me rambling on. I can see that you're passionate. And you know, before we started the interview, you, know, you were kind of talking about the season. So you know, if you have multiple teams, then you, know, you can't really root for one. You know, you're kind of like crossed exactly. between all these different options. So I think you, 
it's just a more fun experience if you just, hey, you got one, this is your team, we're inner Miami, and let's win the you know, let's win the cup. Exactly. Let's talk about Miami. You know, obviously the exodus from New York to Miami was real. You mentioned that there's countries in Asia that, you know, have kind of marketed themselves as, you know, Bitcoin first countries and there's other cities. Can you just talk about this kind of trend of jurisdictional arbitrage and maybe like jurisdictional competition to bring in crypto capital and talent and businesses? Yeah, absolutely. Look, it's interesting because in 2017, Premier of Bermuda reached out. Uh, we met and we started talking about crypto and we started talking about the, you know, the country. And, and he was thinking, look, you know, I, I'd like to get into some kind of other industry. We'll probably diversify our revenues. You know, as Bermuda is pre- predominantly heavy in banking and reinsurance. And he was like, he's a computer science, has a computer science background, was really interested in, in crypto. And he said, can you help us sort of bring crypto to the island? And I really resonated with me because I thought like, yes, that's great because I want to work with regulators. I work, want to work with governments because I think there is something that Bitcoin and, and blockchain in general can bring to these countries, Right. And the same, the same thing basically with Miami for me. You know, Miami made a real commitment to the space. And I'm definitely going to be answering any of these commitments. And to the degree that I can, obviously, uh, there are resource, I'm resource constrained. But in the US, I think Miami is sort of like the choice that is obvious. Miami had a lot going for it. Obviously, from a state tax perspective, it's, it's, there is no state tax. So it's kind of easy to think about it that way. But it's not only dollars and cents. When you move to a new jurisdiction, you need to make sure that you have access to people, right? You need to do the work. You need to hire. You want to make sure that you're not constantly getting hit by natural disasters, right? For the most part, Miami has a very good climate. It has a good fiscal climate. It has a good talent pool. It's fun to be in Miami. We had Bitcoin 2021 in Miami. And that's not because... It's not a fluke, right? Miami was chosen for a good reason. And for us, you know, it was like, yeah, that makes total sense to move down to Miami and, and reinforce that crypto community down there. That's sort of nascent, but that kind of growing by leaps and bounds. And not only crypto, obviously, a lot of the venture capital has come down there, a lot of asset managers, a lot of big banks have moved some of their contingencies, you know, some of their employees down there. In Asia, I think Singapore has done a decent job, maybe a little bit more passively. The fact that you know regulation is is more easy or at least more clear. No regulation doesn't necessarily mean you're in the clear, right? To make things transparent. I mean, Bermuda they wanted to make things very clear, and so they came out with the Digital Asset Business Act, and they made crypto basically legal in Bermuda, and it's super clear what you can and what you cannot do, right? Uh, in other places, it's like, well, we'll let you do what you want doesn't mean we're condoning everything that you're doing. There are just no, there are no actual laws. And the US problem is that there's so many regulators, there's the SEC, there's the CFTC, there's FinCEN, there's Treasury. There's so many stakeholders. It's a little bit difficult to operate and to, to work with all of them at the same time without expending huge amount of resources. In Miami, in Florida, maybe it's a little just easier, except you know, my in Florida is still a state of the U.S., and so it has to do, it has to respect 
at least certain guidelines. But yeah, look, jurisdictional arbitrage from the beginning of Bitcoin has been a thing. I think it's been a thing forever, to be honest. I don't like the word necessarily because it, it implies something that's kind of bad. But you know, who's to say what is right or wrong, especially with something so new as Bitcoin? You know, very early on, Bitcoin was associated with things like you know money laundering, all that thing. But we know for a fact that dollars are used every day in a much more intense way in drug trafficking and money laundering and all of these sort of bad things, you know, they mostly happen in dollars. Let's just be honest. And actually, if they were to happen in Bitcoin, it'd be easier to track. In any case, every country, El Salvador included, has a philosophy, has a policy towards the future of finance, Bitcoin. They all have their reasons for being more pro-Bitcoin or more against Bitcoin. The U.S. has the most to lose. Other smaller countries have more to gain. And that's the reality. And that's necessarily arbitrage. It's the state of the world today. I think of it just as efficiencies and market dynamics kind of being made more available. So I definitely think it's a huge positive. I think Miami is a huge positive and I think XBTO is a huge positive. You know, you've been pushing things forward for the crypto ecosystem for a long time. Philippe, really great having you on the show. Want to give you a chance to kind of give the Bitcoin Magazine audience a last word, maybe plug where they can learn more about you, your business, Inner Miami, all that good stuff. Yeah, thanks a lot. I mean, look, we've been in the background for a long time. We're coming to the foreground. We want to be more visible. We want to do things that are maybe slightly more retail because we are more of an institutional brand. That's the reality. You want to go to xpto.com, you can't really get involved with us immediately unless you know, you're know you ultra high net worth, an institution, a bank, or, or a government. But nonetheless, we got involved with IMCF, with Inter-Miami to be closer to fans in the first place, but sort of just retail. We're going to be developing products, you know, in conjunction with these partners to get the, the brand closer to people. Awesome. All right. Well, Bitcoiners, keep an eye out for XBTO. They are clearly making moves in the space. And uh, again, Philippe, great having you on the show. Learned a lot. And uh, I'm sure that this will not be the last time and excited to see you at Bitcoin 2022 as well. So that's coming back to Miami. Absolutely. And like you said, there's definitely a reason to be in Miami. We try to be in LA and it's just not the same. Miami is a much better home. All right. Amen to that. <laughs> yep. All right. Thanks, Kristen. Thanks a lot. Cheers. See you in all Miami. Right. Hey, see you in Miami. And to all the Bitcoiners out there, follow me at CK underscore Snarks. Follow the show at the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. You can find the show at BitcoinMagazine.com. Five-star reviews. You know the drill. Peace. 